Uh, in all sincerity, Philippians 1.3 comes to mind. I thank my God upon my every remembrance of you, particularly uh, for my best friend in the pastoral ministry, Pastor Booth, and his dear wife, Marinelle, who have loved us and cared for us over the years, and for all of you. So I want to thank you for your, your welcome and for uh, allowing me to be here. So not simply Pastor Booth, but the elders and the deacons. Uh, it's a joy to be with you. Greetings to you from the saints of All Saints in Fort Worth, Texas. And uh, it is a joy to be with you. Now, before I offer the scripture reading today, I'd like to give you a little bit of uh, a note. You can tell from the sermon title in the order of worship that the sermon title is simply called Temptation. What we are going to do today is take a look at Jesus's temptations first. And then we're going to take a look at our temptations. The Bible is clear. Jesus was tempted in all points as we are, and yet he was without sin. So we're going to look at Jesus' temptations, and then we're going to take a look at ours, which is actually a target-rich environment. I will not be asking for testimonies unless someone falls asleep. There have been all kinds of comments. So anyway, this applies to everyone, uh, elderly or young, male or female. So let us be ready. I invite you to stand for the scripture reading for the sermon. I'll be reading from Matthew chapter 4, the first 11 verses. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Please now receive this, the living and active word of the Lord. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he, Jesus, answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Thus far the reading of God's word and all of God's people said, Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, bore out our ears so that we may hear your words and enliven our limbs so that we may follow your ways. Grant us eyes to see Jesus Christ. Grant us clarity. Grant us your wisdom from above. We pray this in his matchless name and amen. It's inevitable things like that are going to happen. So... The temptations in this passage are the most famous temptations in history. Yours are not. The temptations in this passage are the most famous temptations in history. They are the temptations of Jesus. 
The temptations in this passage are not like those temptations which we experience, those which arise from our sinful passions and desires. The temptations in this passage come from the devil, the tempter itself. And they come to one who is completely righteous. Temptation still. We need to learn from our Lord, so we must give thanks, first of all, that this passage is here. How did our Lord receive and respond to temptations? Let us learn from that. But before we take a look at these temptations, we need to do something else first. We're going to take a quick look at the flow of the Gospel of Matthew up to this point. So if you have your Bibles open... This will be very helpful. We're going to take a look at the flow of the biblical story as it is in Matthew's Gospel. When we come right up to Matthew chapter 4, we're actually going to be setting the scene. Matthew's Gospel begins with what we call Matthew chapter 1. And it actually begins appropriately with a beginning. Matthew's Gospel is actually a new Genesis. The first two words of Matthew's Gospel in the Greek language are these. Biblos Geneseos. Translated, book of Genesis. The first two words of Greek in Matthew chapter 1 are book of Genesis. We have a new Genesis. The book of the genealogy or the Genesis of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew chapter 1 also ends where the Hebrew Bible ends. So it begins where the Hebrew Bible begins, a book of Genesis. And the book of the, the, the Matthew chapter 1 ends where the Hebrew Bible ends. Where does the Hebrew Bible end? Don't answer out loud. I'll give you the answer. The Hebrew Bible ends with God's people in exile. The Hebrew Bible ends with God's people in exile waiting for a deliverer. Matthew chapter 1 ends with God's people in exile, waiting for a deliverer, and then we hear these wonderful words. And you shall call His name Jesus, after she brings forth a son. You shall call His name Jesus, for He shall deliver His people from their sins. The Hebrew Bible actually ends with Second Chronicles. The Hebrew Bible ends with Second Chronicles and the people of God are waiting in exile. So, Matthew chapter 1 is a new Genesis. And Matthew chapter 1 ends with the people of God in exile waiting for a deliverer, waiting for an exodus. So, when you turn the page to Matthew chapter 2, what do you find? An exodus. In Matthew chapter 2, you know the story quite well. In Matthew chapter 2, we have a new Pharaoh. There's a new Pharaoh in town. And the name of this new Pharaoh is Herod. This new Pharaoh is doing what the old Pharaoh did, still targeting little boys. Jesus is born and is targeted. Jesus and his family leave Israel and they go to Egypt. Hmm. Instead of leaving Egypt and going to Israel, we see that things are now turned around. Instead of leaving for Egypt for Israel, Israel is now left for Egypt. This tells us how bad things have become in Israel. Israel has become a new Egypt. Jesus and his family go to Egypt and they remain there until the death of this Pharaoh Herod. 
and then they returned to Israel. Connected with the defeat of Israel, if we remember our biblical story very well, connected with the defeat of Israel, excuse me, connected with the defeat of Pharaoh, they encountered water. So when we turn the next page and come to Matthew chapter 3, what do we find? John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and baptizing with water. We're actually walking right through our biblical story. John the Baptist is not simply baptizing with water. Where he is baptizing matters. He's baptizing on the other side of the Jordan, on the Egyptian side of the Jordan, saying to all of the people who come out to be baptized, you need an exodus yourselves. You need to follow the Deliverer. Jesus arrives and is baptized. Jesus is taking the place of his people. Chapter 1 of Matthew, a Genesis. Chapter 2, an Exodus. Chapter 3, some water. What comes next in our biblical story if we look back to what's called the Old Testament? Well, just as it occurred with the people of Israel, right after the water crossing in the Red Sea, they entered the wilderness. We should now expect wilderness, and sure enough, when we turn the page and come to Matthew chapter 4, our passage, today we hear these words. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness hmm. to be tempted by the devil. Hmm. The biblical story is being retold now with the faithful last Adam, now with the faithful Joshua. Matthew chapter 4. Temptation. The temptations of Jesus. Now we have the scene set. Let's take a closer look at these temptations. And what we're going to see are two things. First of all, I want us to pay attention to the altitude in the passage. The altitude. Let me demonstrate. Starting low and going up. All right? The second thing I want you to notice as we look at these temptations happens to be the aim of the temptations. Okay? All right. Altitude. The devil's temptations of Jesus go from lower to higher. They start on the floor of the wilderness and they lift up to the pinnacle of the temple and then they end on some very high mountain somewhere. That is the devil's way of exalting Jesus. Allow me to lift you up. That's the altitude that we're going to notice in these temptations. What about the aim of these temptations? The, the devil's temptations of Jesus have these three aims, and they are the same aims when you are being tempted. So there I've tipped my hand for the end of the sermon. The first temptation of Jesus focuses upon the place or the point of weakness. The second temptation of the devil to Jesus focuses on the place or the point of strength. And the final place or point of the temptation focuses upon Jesus' identity. From weakness to strength to identity. Where you lack, where you think you are strong and who you think you are. So let's take a look at the first temptation. This is an attack at the place of weakness. The passage opens in the wilderness. And by the way, note this, that the Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness to be 
tempted by the devil. Find that in your theology of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. He's on the floor of the wilderness. He's down low. And he is truly hungry after 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus was hungry. Verse 2. Verse 3. Enter the tempter. You are hungry. Do something about it. You can do it. You can do something astonishing. And the the reality is, consider your situation. You need something astonishing. You need something more than what you already have. You are weak. You are surrounded by all of these stones. As a matter of fact, they kind of look like loaves of bread. Go ahead and eat. And this is the temptation of, has God said? You are weak and you need something more, has God said? This is 40 days after Jesus' baptism, when He heard the voice of the Father saying, this is my beloved Son. Has God said Loved? Son? Where's the Father now? I think you're going to be the one who's going to say later in your teaching, you can hear the devil in this way. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? What has your Father given you? Stone. You need something more. Surely you need something more. The devil is the diabolos, the one who throws between. Diabolos. Balo is the Greek word to throw. I throw. Here the forked tongue splitter is at work. The forked tongue splitter Devil is at work attempting to separate Jesus from his Father. This starts soon after baptism. Surely there's something more. Surely there's got to be more than God's voice, which, by the way, I can't hear right now. It's as if the Father in his declaration is not enough. You need more. The declaration of God's word is considered insufficient. So Jesus answers with scripture. It is written, it is in writing, verse 4, while we do live by bread, and we love bread, we need bread to live, we do not live only by bread. We live by the very word of God, the very word that said, I am a beloved son. That was the temptation at a point of weakness, true hunger. The second temptation is found at the place of strength. The devil now goes a bit higher. He goes to the pinnacle of the temple in verse 5. Right there in the holy city. And Jesus, we know what he did. He dealt with the first temptation with Scripture. So what does the devil do? 
Same thing the devil does with us, basically saying, okay, in effect, you want to go there? Fine, let's go there. Let's go to Scripture. Here we learn a little bit about the devil's strategy from the order and the sequence of temptation. The first will be to target the weak point. The next is to target the strong point and to use one's strengths against us. To use our momentum against us. What one commentator, Frederick Dale Bruner, called a form of spiritual jujitsu. We don't expect this because our strengths are, well, they're our strengths. Who's going to come after me here? We don't expect to be taken down at the place of our strength, our virility, our passions, what we're good at. Jesus answered the first temptation with Scripture. This is where he is strong. So the devil goes for the scriptural takedown. And then, of course, the devil's use of Scripture is with a perverse use of Scripture. And it's as if it's going in this way. Follow along with the narrative. Okay. The heavens spoke about you being a beloved son at that water time. Yet there's no bread. Where's the provision? I'm wondering if there's any protection for you. Throw yourself down. You and I both know the Scriptures. The devil knows the Scriptures, and the devil here cites what we call Psalm 91. He will command his angels concerning you. On their hands they will bear you up, and you will not even strike your foot or stub your toe against a stone. The devil is simply calling upon Jesus to prove his trust in the Father by some deeds. Show it. Act. You're getting ready to go out and preach. Before you go out and get ready to preach, before you go out and do anything, you need to demonstrate, you need to prove your faith. Go for it. By the way, there's no glory in it for you. You go ahead and do this. It's all for God, your Father, the one who spoke about you, the heaven speaker. He'll get all the glory and this will confirm his love for you. Just go ahead and do it. And by the way, that's not all. This will be spectacular. You say you trust God with everything. How about this? How about you trust God with nothing? No escalator, no elevator, no handrails. Just go ahead and step off. Cloud walker, just try it. This is a daring faith. And Jesus responds with Scripture again. We might give up. Cave in. Quit. A Scripture didn't work last time. And that thing is sharp with Scripture. Jesus, however, cites a different passage. Don't test the Lord. Don't test the Lord. One writer said that Jesus Christ here points out that testing the Lord is not trusting Him. 
Testing the Lord, that's not trusting the Lord. Yes, Psalm 91 expects God's protecting love. Psalm 91, however, does not press God's protecting love upon my foolishness. The real question is this. Do we follow God or must God follow us? Or put it this way. Will God be obeyed or will God be commanded by my use of Scripture? Here. So the first temptation was at a place of weakness, hunger. Jesus responds with Scripture. The second temptation is a a place of strength. It's a challenge and Jesus responds with Scripture. The third temptation now is higher up. Some high mountain. It's a visionary mountain. Some kind of vision here. What does the devil do? The devil leads Jesus up from the rocks and the floor of the wilderness. Up to the pinnacle of the temple. And now to some mountain. What does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit leads Jesus down. To the Jordan. To John. To water, to the wilderness. The devil wants a great spectacle, wonder, and fascination. The Holy Spirit is after the low and the ordinary, the earthy and the everyday. The devil exalts to some perceived notion of false glory. Let's go to the heights. The Holy Spirit, the glory is to the cross and to suffering. You'll go to the depths, the depths of the earth. So now the third temptation is before us. This is to the middle, this is to the center, this is to the heart, or to the heartbeat. Jesus is calling his vocation, his mission, his, to use a popular term these days, his identity. Good sound. This is about Jesus' love for others, Jesus' love for the world, and we can see the strategy of this temptation as well. Mm. As the son of your father, you're in the wilderness without bread. As the son of your father, you wouldn't even expect him to hold you up if you stepped off the top of the temple. Now let's think about this. Your father is the one who has sent you into this dying world because of what? Because of love? Love that doesn't provide? Love that doesn't protect? For God so loved the world that he gave you? His only begotten son? It's because of love that you're here, right? Okay, I get it. The stones to bread, because you were hungry, that was self-serving. Let's scratch that one. The temple step to walk on air, let's scratch that one. That was testing God. But this, this one is all about what you're all about. Serving others. Giving yourself for others. Loving others. Don't fail like Moses. Deuteronomy 
34, yes, Moses died. He failed because of sin, because of a failure. And at the time of his death, what did the Lord do? It brought him up to Mount Nebo and showed him all the land that could have been his. Yes, all the kingdoms that Moses would not receive, but would give to another. Supposedly, your greatest desire is to obey the Father's will and to save people from every part of the planet, right? You want every nation, right? Your plan is global, right? You want all the peoples of the world, every kingdom? Hmm? Just bow down and they're yours. No need to go to the cross. You've just come up from the floor of the wilderness. Why go down now? Why go under the wilderness? Jesus responds with Scripture again. There's our passage. We've recognized the points of the strategy of our Lord's enemy. Our Lord's enemy and our enemy. Striking at a place of weakness. Striking at a place of strength. And striking at a place of identity. In that order. So weakness. We're getting ready to turn from our Lord, learning from our Lord to ourselves here. So weakness, where are you weak? Or more pointedly, when are you weak? Beware. How are you weak? Where do you lack, perhaps because of your disobedience or the disobedience of others? We're dealing with you now, not our Lord. But the approach of our ancient foe is the same. Where are you weak? How many times have I spoken to men, young or old, and I've said, beware of opening the door to foolishness because of your hunger. Because of what you think you deserve. Where you think you are deprived where you have not received what you think you should be receiving. Oh, children can relate to this too. Oh, I grew up in this and I should have had that. Watch out. This first temptation of our Lord was designed to get Jesus to expect something more from the Father. To consider that what the Lord, the Father has provided was insufficient Paltry or weak? Do we ever consider what the Lord has given us to be insufficient or weak? Jesus had been baptized. Jesus heard the voice from heaven declaring His Sonship that He is in the family. Then the temptations happened. Much the same happens to us. Either when we are truly weak or with even the suggestion that you are weak, you've been baptized, you've been brought into the family of God, the words of the Lord have been declared over you, and then all of a sudden, the chirping, tweeting note comes in. Isn't there something more? This is so weak. Look around. Look at that guy. Look at her. 
Look at him. Strength. Where are you strong? Where do you think you are strong? Take heed, you're getting ready to fall. When are you most confident? I got this one. I'm tired of that phrase. You got this. No, I don't. No. Where are you strong? Because right there, we, we put on the blinders or we put on the little night goggles and we put in the earbuds and we go, I'm good here. I can handle this. And then you get handled by the this. Your identity. This is the center of it all. Who, who, who do we think we are? Are we followers of ourselves or are we followers of the Lord? Our ancient foe attacked our Lord and our Lord thankfully was faithful because He is the faithful one in whom we have our hope, our life, our identity. But who are you all about? Whatever your age is. Why do you act that way? Why do you speak that way? Why do you even look that way? Whose will are you following? All it takes is a little bit of a tick. Just move it off. Move it off. Our Lord was called to humility. Those are the points of the temptation. By the way, something else, this could deserve quite a bit of elaboration. Note the places of temptation as well. I'm just going to recite these to you. The, the, the temptation toward weakness was in a lonely place. The temptation to strength was in a public place. The temptation with regard to your identity was in that private place where what you think about yourself really is present. We rejoice in our Lord Jesus Christ because in the gospel, Jesus' faithfulness, he, he took our place. Our, our weaknesses are covered by our Lord. Our, our strengths are found in the stronger one who bound the strong man and plundered his house. And his victory is our identity. However, as his followers, I'm going to end with four points and with this we shall conclude. What do you do about your temptations? We've learned from our Lord. We've learned about the strategies of our ancient foe. We've seen something about the points of the attack as well as the places of attack. How do you respond now? How do we respond If we're going to be followers of Jesus, we must be followers of Jesus. Jesus responded with Scripture. And I, I love the privilege of working with Pastor Booth. And over the years, as we have been laboring in both Summer Sanctus and Gloria Sancta, we have been emphasizing and concerned about second generation faith or the faith of those who have just kind of gone on retread. And one of the first things that goes is this. 
And we call ourselves followers of Jesus. Jesus' response to our ancient foe was with Scripture, Scripture, and Scripture. Here's a line. If you are not in the Scriptures, don't expect the Scriptures to be in you. Why did I cave? Let's talk about that. Why am I weak? Let's talk about that. If you are not in the Scriptures, don't expect the Scriptures to be into you. Are you persistent with the Scriptures? Have you read them again for the very first time? Have you heard them again for the very first time? These are the words of life. Lord, where else shall we go? Is there obedience with the Scriptures? James 4.17 To the one who knows the right thing to do, it's in here somewhere, and does not do it to that person, it is sin. How many times could we simply say to somebody who's gotten all tangled up in something, they're in some kind of casserole, and say, did you know the right thing to do? Yeah. And you didn't do it. There's the beginning of your confession. Start there. Stop pointing everywhere else. Recently, I've been saying to folks, I I can't find a single place in the Scripture where I'm allowed or instructed or you're allowed or instructed to meditate upon the sins of others. Can't can't find it. We're spending so much time. Oh, look what they did. Look what they did. Let's get into this. Let's begin here. That's the first point. If there's no Scripture, there's no victory. Second point, by way of conclusion, resist. Resist. Resistance is not futile. James 4, 7, Submit yourselves therefore to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist. You've been given all things pertaining to life and godliness and you're thinking, I can't, I can't. I Submit therefore to God and then resist the devil. He's going to take off. Chesterton said it well. A dead thing can go with the stream, but only a living thing can go against it. Think, oh, resistance is expected. Resistance reveals that the battle is real and that you are a target. John Owen, in The Mortification of Sin, says, Be killing sin or it will be killing you. First point, no scripture, no victory. Second point, resist. Third point, sounds the same, persist. Hmm. Persistence in the temptation. The devil does not stop often with the same aim of splitting and separating you from the Father, you from the Lord, you from the Lord's people. Split, split, split. The ball is being cast. The spear is being cast. Separate. And Matthew Henry says this, the devil, if he fail in one assault, he'll try another. Keeps on. Persistence, persistence, persistence. We should respond in the same way. Jesus did with Scripture, then a challenge from Scripture. Jesus persisted with Scripture again and again. By the way, let me simplify persistence for you. Another way to speak of persistence is this. Raw, daily faithfulness. This is the kind that the devil despises. Remember, he's saying, I want you to be sensational. And many of us go, oh yeah, if only I could... Just hit that grand slam or get that winning goal. Me. The devil hates raw, 
daily, basic faithfulness. The kind that the devil does not want us to consider. He doesn't want us to consider the wilderness being down low. Turning stones into bread? Look for more. Step off the temple? Show more. Whatever happened to contentment? How about, how do I grow in contentment? How about start by giving thanks? How about that? Finally, oh, by, by the way, before I end this, I want to give you one more wonderful G.K. Chesterton quote with regard to ordinary, daily, basic faithfulness. Mark this. It says, The most extraordinary thing in the world is an ordinary man and an ordinary woman and their ordinary children. I'm a fan of the ordinary. Finally, last, let me repeat these final points. No scripture, there's no victory. You need to resist. You need to persist. And finally, I want you to consider where you're going. Where are you going? Whatever your age happens to be, what's your telos? Remember that word? It's where we get the word telescope. It's where that means the end, the goal, the aim, the objective. We got a telescope. What are we looking at? What's your telos? Where are you going? What is your target, your aim, your goal? What kind of a man or a woman do you desire to be next year? In five years? 25 years. This has everything to do with your calling, your identity as a Christian. And consider this. A young man or a young woman who is 15 years of age, struggling with this little identity whatever, or struggling with this passion whatever, because he's so strong at the age of 15, and she's so sensible... Fifteen-year-olds, sure, if you're twelve, if you're eight, ask yourself this. Where are you going to be in ten years? What kind of a man or a woman are you going to be in ten years? And what are you doing right now to get there? The fifteen-year-old, young man or young woman, in ten years they may be married and have children of their own. So I'm going to be very blunt with you. How do you want your children to speak of you as a father, as a mother? What do you want to say to your son when he says, Are we on here? Walk away. You're sitting down and your son comes to you and says, Dad, I want to talk to you about purity. I want to talk to you about how you dealt with purity. Dad, can you talk to me about that? And I said, Yes, son, let's talk about the war. So when you're 15 and when you're 18, you have an opportunity to see that. Do you say, am I weak? Am I strong? Who am I? What am I going to do about that that is in front of me right now so that when I am 25 or 30 or 35 or 45, when you're 60 and your grandson comes to you, Granddad, how'd you handle this? Grandma, how'd you handle this? I'm not going to go seek this from those who are going in the same pool of muck, the same septic tank of whatever that I'm going through. I want to go to you, Dad. 
Say, son, I want to talk to you about that because I remember that battle. I'm going to tell you what I did. I'm going to tell you how I said no and how I resisted and how I persisted. So there it is. We've taken a look at our Lord's temptations and we've learned about our own temptations. Temptations at the place of weakness and of strength and of identity. And we've learned that we must be in the Scriptures so that the Scriptures can come out of us. We need to be people who resist, people who persist, and people who consider our telos, our glorious end, because we're appointed for glory. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, may His words sink deeply into our hearing, and we be shaped and changed accordingly. Amen. Without the Lord Jesus Christ, where would you be? Without the Lord Jesus Christ, how would you face temptation? Do not blame God when you're being tempted. James is very clear. But each one of us is tempted when we are enticed or carried away by our own lusts. We are called to have passions, desires, dare we say lusts, that are conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Do we have godly desires? The table of the Lord is given to us to show us the one who was given for us. The table of the Lord is given for us to show us how we are to live. Remarkably, we are an accepted people. Baptism entirely of the Lord. Water is as water comes. And it marks us. And the voice of the Father declares, You are my children. Now walk this way. The table of the Lord shows our acceptance. For no one goes out into the wilderness contrary to the devil's lies and finds a loaf of bread just sitting there. Bread requires the effort, the labor, the touch of our Lord's accepted children. Bread is ground and formed and shaped and given. Wine does not simply come out of a vine. One cannot put a little spigot into a branch with a little tiny goblet and expect wine to come out. Wine requires care, tending, time, labor, effort. And our Lord is saying, I have accepted you and the works of your hands, and I will set the table with bread and wine, for I have received you in my Son. Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, the captain of our salvation, the great shepherd of the sheep, send us forth from this place, even to fellowship and to an ongoing growth in faith. Send us forth from this place with the confidence of Jesus' victory. Send us forth from this place with the confidence that you remain with us. Send us forth from this place with the confidence that you, the one who has begun a very good work in us, will complete, perfect, and mature it until the day of Christ Jesus. 
Now may our eyes be fixed upon you, for you are worthy of all praise. Through Jesus we pray, and amen. Amen. Receive now this good word. May the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Jesus Christ, after you have suffered for a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen.